Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Okay, good morning, everyone. Welcome. Nice to have you with us. Uh, we are moving on in the uh, book of Leviticus, starting Leviticus today. We're also going to jump into Psalm 90, so we are reading chronologically. So that's why we're going to be looking into some of these different readings. Uh, apparently, Psalm 90 is a psalm of Moses, not of um, David, to keep it chronological. Today, the temperature right now is 72 degrees. It was down in the low 60s, well, mid-60s, 64, 65 last night. And it's supposed to get up to 85 today. Oh, well, I guess we, we've been up in the kind of the low 80s, high 70s, but we're moving towards March. Things are going to start warming up again. And the humidity is super low, 56%. So I love the dryness. really keeps things feeling fresh. Well, let's go ahead and pray and get into the Word. Father God, we thank you for this morning, and we do come before you expectantly, God, to, for you to show us these things that we see that are very applicable when we can pull them all together and put them in context of how you are trying to guide us in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's get into the Word. We are Psalm 90 right now. Psalm 90, God's eternity and man's transitoriness. A prayer of Moses, a man of God, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and to the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man back to dust and say, return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight is like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning, they are like grass, which sprouts anew. In the morning, it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening, it fades and withers away. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath, we have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sign. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years, yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. For soon it is gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you to teach us to number our days? that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Do return, O Lord, how long will it be? And be sorry for your servants. O satisfy us in your morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. And confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. Psalm 91. 
Who trusts in the Lord? He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand. But it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Well, for many people, Psalm 91 is one of their favorite all-time psalms in the Bible. It is assumed that because it's in the chronological reading that Moses wrote this. It's not proven that I know it, but he certainly wrote Psalm 90. And if it is Moses, imagine how real those words were when he saw God deliver him and saw God deliver him in the midst of the darkness that was in Egypt and in the midst of the army of tens of thousands and all the miraculous things that happened, that God was for them and God was not going to allow the enemy to touch them. And then we have this prophetic utterance of what Satan uses with Jesus, that he quotes from it, that he wants him to throw himself off the Temple Mount and says, hey, you know what, doesn't the Bible say? Uh, Not allow your foot to be struck. But we see this being quoted in the New Testament as well, in reference to the Messiah. So we have it clearly a reference to God's promises. Now, it's specifically towards Israel there, and I think it's good to keep the context before us, and it certainly is a reference to Messiah, and there are certainly truths in there for the believer. I don't think you should take it to extreme and say that no cobra can come against you and therefore start playing with snakes. I think there's presumption there. I think the overall kind of encouragement there for us is to fully trust in the Lord and know that he can take care of us and don't put it to the test. We're not to test the Lord our God, but we are to know that he is a powerful and living God and that we can seek him and put our trust in him and then walk with our God humbly and not arrogantly because it's kind of a problem within the church at times. If they take these things to the extreme, they become very arrogant and think no one can touch me. I remember during the COVID thing, people were quoting 
in their churches and standing up and screaming Psalm 91 and this pestilence cannot touch me. I'm a child of God. And while I applaud the application of, of standing in faith against these things, the pestilence of the day that has come upon us, I think he's taking scripture out of context. It wasn't applying that scripture in that context can be dangerous because we do know that obviously the COVID virus affected many good, strong, faithful believers of God. So we've got to see the context in which God is applying those things. And um, there's some, unfortunately, people that died from it that were standing up strong. Now, I, I'm not an advocate for the, for the vaccine necessarily at all. But what I'm saying is that we need to take all these things in context and take care of our health and make sure we're not pushing the limits because we make some old claim of Psalm 91. At the same time, I do want to say that we often don't trust God enough either. We also, we need to realize that God is our strength in very difficult times and he can bring us through and not assume that every bad thing in the world is going to affect us. If we're children of God, we need to rely on him and let him be the guide. Leviticus 1 now going on in the narrative chronologically. The law of the Lord of burnt offerings. Then the Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When any man of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of animals from the herd or the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer it. A male without defect he shall offer it at the doorway of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, that it may be accepted for him to make atonement on his behalf. He shall slay the young bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall offer up the blood and sprinkle the blood around the altar that is at the doorway of the tent of meeting. He shall then skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priests, shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. Then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the suet, over the wood which is on the fire that is on the altar. Its entrails, however, and its legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall offer up in smoke all of it on the altar burnt offering an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. But if his offering is from the flock of the sheep or of the goats for a burnt offering, he shall offer it male without defect. He shall slay it on the side of the altar northward before the Lord and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle its blood around on the altar. Then he shall cut it into pieces with its head and its suet. And the priests shall arrange them on the wood which is on the fire that is on the altar, the entrails, however, and the legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall offer all of it and offer it up in smoke on the altar. It is a burnt offering, an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. But if his offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, then he shall bring his offering from the turtle doves or from the young pigeons, the priest shall bring it to the altar and wring off its head and offer it up in smoke on the altar. 
and its blood is to be drained out on the side of the altar. He shall also take away its crop with its feathers and cast it beside the altar eastward to the place of the ashes. Then he shall tear it by its wings, but shall not sever it. And the priest shall offer it up in smoke on the altar of the wood which is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. Chapter 2, the law of the grain offerings. Now, when anyone presents a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it, put frankincense on it, and he shall then bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, and shall take from it his handful of fine flour and of its oil and of all its frankincense. And the priest shall offer it up in smoke as its memorial portion on the altar, an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. The remainder of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons, a thing most holy of the offerings to the Lord by fire. Now, when you bring an offering of a grain offering baked in an oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers spread with oil. If your offering is a grain offering made on the griddle, it shall be a fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. You shall bake it into bits and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. Now, if your offering is a grain offering made in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And when you bring the grain offering, which is made of these things to the Lord, it shall be presented to the priest and he shall bring it to the altar. The priest then shall take up from the grain offering its memorial portion and shall offer it up in smoke on the altar as an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. The remainder of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons, a thing most holy of the offerings to the Lord by fire. No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall not offer up in smoke any leaven or any honey as an offering by fire to the Lord. As an offering of first fruits, you shall bring them to the Lord, but they shall not ascend for soothing aroma on the altar. Every grain offering of yours, moreover, you shall season with salt, so that the salt of the covenant of your God shall not be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Also, if you bring a grain offering of earthly ripened things to the Lord, you shall bring fresh heads of grain roasted in the fire, grits and new growth for the grain offering of your early ripened things. And you shall then put oil on it and lay incense on it. It is a grain offering. The priest shall offer up in smoke its memorial portion, part of its grits and its oil with all its incense as an offering by fire to the Lord. Well, you see, we have an offering for people that live in the South <laughs> with the grits and the vegans can offer up all their grain <laughs> and the carnivores can offer up all the beef. All right, I'm making fun of all this. It is quite serious, obviously. But what's so beautiful about all this is we get right from the get-go that there's a lot of modeling and a lot of typology. Yes, it is necessary for the forgiveness of sin, temporary forgiveness of sins, that the blood of the animal had to be shed, the innocent. That's why it was necessary to place the hand of the offender, the sinner, on the head of the animal and slay it. 
And so then its blood would be poured out and there would be a reckoning and understanding of that sin then being transferred to the innocent animal. Burnt offerings were whole offerings dedicated to God. It was like dedicating one's whole self to God, giving everything. So you're giving everything in the animal, everything is burnt and then taken outside the camp. And of course, with the other peace offerings and the grain offerings, uh, normally part of it was offered up completely and other parts were then eaten either by the priests and or the worshiper. So a sin offering, if you did a sin against God, if you did a sin against uh, another person, part of the offering would be wholly offered up before God. Part of it then would be taken by the priest and sometimes then by the worshiper. The, the fellowship offerings, the peace offerings were the ones where you would have the most joyous time of fellowshipping with other members of your family was a big barbecue. You would bring it and basically offer up this very small portion of the fat or something, and then the rest of all of the meat, you would then receive back and have a meal of joy and thanksgiving to God. So there was all kinds of different sacrifices and different ways that they would use these sacrifices to bring one into fellowship, forgiveness, reconciliation, and all of this so that the person was constantly going back and remembering who they were and remembering the need to be right with God on a daily basis. And that's still a good thing to remember. Mark 5, the Gerasene demoniac. They came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs and no one was able to bind him anymore even with a chain because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been torn apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces and no one was strong enough to subdue him constantly night and day he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them. And they were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen ran away and reported it to the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down clothed and in his right mind. The very man who had the legion, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed 
was imploring him that he might accompany him. But he did not let him, but said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. (laughs) I imagine. So the demoniac, was there one or two? Yes. There was more likely two because the other Gospels talk about being two. This one talks about one. Theologians don't see a problem with this. They believe that in the Greek style of writing, uh, I should say there were Jews writing in Greek, but it was not that uncommon for the predominant person to be the focus of attention. The one that was speaking, the one that Jesus dealt with, was the one that this the whole story was about. So he says there was one, and it's not that big a deal. But what's happening here is the encounter with the demoniac. Again, up near, this is all up near Bashan, Aga Bashan. This is now on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And we're up in the north area. And that whole mountain range there is the area of Bashan. This is the area, uh, Mount Hermon, which is up there on that same mountain range. And that whole area is theologically looked at as being what was the domain of the evil spirits. It's where we are told in the book of Enoch that they first came, the fallen angels first came down. It's where it's believed that Jesus up in Caesarea Philippi, which is a little farther north, but it's part of that mountain range, also claimed himself to be deity. And, and the transfiguration probably happened there. This is where he said the gates of hell were. So it, it is believed, certainly Michael Heiser, I got this from his book. Um, it was really a phenomenal book, The Unseen Realm, where he believes that it was Jesus going over there once again to make a strong claim to the demonic realm. I am here. I am God. And I am come to take back the title deed of the earth. And so the the demons immediately recognize him. He goes over there to their lair, so to speak, that whole area. He does a lot of miracles over there to lay claim again to the earth and to his people to show them what he's doing. And so the casting out of the demons was great. I mean, it was God's love for this one or two men was phenomenal. And he does love us enough that he would travel whatever distance or whatever need be to find that one lost sheep. But additionally, he is engaging in battle with the demonic world against an entire legion, right? Jesus is coming at war to an entire legion, and he casts them out. And it's interesting, there's 2,000 sheep. There's a legion of, of demons there. Demons, many, many demons can inhabit one person. I uh, just saw the phenomenal movie that Micah brought me about the uh, demon-possessed man. Boy, it's a good movie. If you've seen it, it just came out. Uh, recommend it's scary, kind of, but it's interesting. The idea is that one Jesus against however many legions of demons, there's no contest. They have no permission to do anything unless he says they can. They have to ask him, please don't send us into the, the pit, the, the abuso. Please let us go into the swine. I mean, a whole legion of demons have to ask Jesus permission, and he allows them. Now, the swine running down into the sea, was that commanded by God, or, or did the pigs just panic? Uh, 
yes, what, probably both. Uh, they didn't want to be drowned. They wanted to stay in the pig. So it seems like this was something that certainly got allowed. Again, the, the illustration is they're going down. <laughs> they're going down into the pit one way or the other. And uh, because God is claiming authority over the earth now, he's coming to reclaim the title deed to the earth. So they had no, no authority over anymore to, to dwell in that land. And of course, the people are more preoccupied for the swine than they are for the man. They think nothing of the man being healed of demons. Think about this. We have the power of the God of this universe that could come in and heal any affliction and heal any demonic thing going on in our community. No, they were more concerned about the money they were making off their ham and their bacon, which was not kosher. Remember, they would have nothing to do with the unclean animals. So they were breaking the law and making money off it. So everything was turned around for them. And that's where their focus was, the money. And this is why they wanted Jesus out of there. And this is why Jesus told the demoniac not to go with him. He says, no, 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 you need to go back and now be my witness for me. Conviction, <laughs> convict these people to let them know that the Son of God has been in there in their midst. All right, let's move on to Charles Spurgeon. If ye abide in me and my word abides in you, you shall ask what ye will, and it will be done to you. John 15, 7. Note well that we must hear Jesus speak if we expect him to hear us speak. If we have no ear for Christ, he will have no ear for us. In proportion as we hear, we shall be heard. Moreover, what is heard must remain must live in us and must abide in our character as a force and a power. We must receive the truths which Jesus taught, the precepts which he issued, and the movements of his spirit within us, or we shall have no power at the mercy seat. Suppose our Lord's words to be received and to abide in us. What a boundless field of privilege is open to us. We are to have our will in prayer because we have already surrendered our will to the Lord's command. Thus, Elijah's trained to handle the keys of heaven and lock or loose the clouds, or such man is worth a thousand common Christians. Do we humbly desire to be intercessors for the church and the world, and like Luther, be able to have what we will of the Lord? Then we must bow our ear to the voice of the well-beloved and treasure up his words and carefully obey them. He had need to hearken diligently who would pray effectually. That's good. It means we got to be 100%. And we got to be serious about our Father's business and be intercessors and not casual Christians there is such a need for Christians to take God's word, take it seriously, and follow him wherever he leads. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day, the beauty of this day. As you continue, God, to make it something that we can come before you every day 
and be joyful, knowing, seeing that you're working and understanding that you're working. And so, God, we look for you to well up within us and to guide us in our prayers and guide us as being intercessors for others, seeking you, God, and all that you have for us. Help us, God, to be living sacrifices unto you and uh, to be your temple of which you're dwelling in and guiding us and directing us. Thank you for our families. Thank you for what you're doing amongst our families. Thank you that you are ever uh, guiding us in in righteousness and truth. And we do pray, God, that you're also guiding us in healing as we often have difficult decisions to make and we need your wisdom. So continue to do that, God, as we see you move. And certainly, we, Dean and Kim need a lot of wisdom on how to continue to see their girls healed. Uh, many of us need wisdom on know what medication we have to take or what kind of treatments we have to take, if at all. And so, God, we ask that you would give us those understandings. I pray that the conference that's finishing up today for the men down south would just be a, a super blessing and that you get them really, really um, on fire for you. We desire to have men that are on fire, God, not with religion and not with doctrine per se, but just with real life communion with you. And in that be looking to your spirit, looking to your word for guidance as they worship you in spirit and truth. Thank you for bringing Micah down here. God bless him as he's going to be performing a wedding today for his friend Carlos. Bless that whole time, God. May it be uh, just glorifying to you in all that happens. God, we pray that you would help us to prepare for tomorrow and that we all be coming before you expectantly to see the things you want to show us and be worshiping God. Even as the worshipers amongst the tabernacle were bringing their offerings, their peace offering, their fellowship offering, their burn offerings, God, help us bring our hearts in the same mindset that we offer them up. Knowing that nothing we can give you is sufficient, but knowing that you desire them all the same knowing that the only thing that is sufficient is looking to your blood and to your sacrifice. But we can praise you, God. We can bring you a sacrifice of praise. So help us do all these things with the right heart, with the right attitude, and just continue to move us, God, as we come in to your presence. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, guys, that does it for today, and I will get out a recorded podcast for tomorrow so that you know we're going to be moving on for tomorrow in case you just want to read it on your own it's going to be leviticus 3 and 4 and the rest of mark 5 so if you want to read it on your own go for it or i'll do the recorded podcast and please subscribe to it and get other people too so we can get more exposure and get people to do when they do searches they want to listen to the bible they can find us so that's always a blessing okay so you guys have a wonderful day and we'll see you tomorrow at nine in the morning, our time. Look forward to it. Bye-bye.